Well, good morning. If you'd open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Rome and, and also to us, what shall we say then? Are, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask now that you would open your word up to us and, and open us up to your word, that we might behold the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Please bless us to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, America has always been a nation that values personal identity. Our, our Bill of Rights ensures that the rights of the individual are not trampled by the majority. Now, personal identity is, is not the same thing as personal freedoms or personal liberty, of course, but nevertheless, it's, it's often seen that way. And in our current cultural moment, personal identity is highly valued. So valued, in fact, that people try to change that identity with breathtaking rapidity. And, and advertisers are thoroughly engaged with this. The, the marketing of a product has turned into the marketing of an identity. Whatever you want to be, we can deliver if you buy our product. But of course, identity is actually more than just what we want to be or want it to be. At best, marketers can only sell a public perception. They really can't change your identity, but they can change how you are perceived. Do you want to be perceived as an athlete? Cool. Buy from Nike, buy from Under Armour or Adidas. They can deliver if you wear their product, even if you can't run a mile and the only weightlifting you do is the can of whatever soda or beverage of your choice, right? Do you want to present yourself as, as hip, cool? Do you want to be perceived as having the identity of the wealthy? Well, Buy a bag from Louis Vuitton. Even if all that you can fill it with are the credit receipts and IOUs that it costs you to buy the bag. Do you want to change your gender? Buy the proper apparel. Go to particular doctors. They'll change your appearance. Even though every cell of your body cries out in DNA of your original sex. You want to be seen as virtuous. Post a sign in your yard telling people what you believe. Even if you don't love your neighbors, doesn't matter. Just post the sign and our culture will stand up and applaud. But there's some things, some things that marketers cannot give you even the appearance of, regardless of how much you're willing to spend. For example, the, the cap, the gown, the hood are reserved for those who have truly graduated. You can go buy a cap and gown, I suppose, but that would just be strange. Wear it around, that would look odd, right? And, and we found out in Band of Brothers that the right to blouse your, your trousers like a paratrooper, now that's, that's reserved only for those who have truly earned their jump wings. And there are things in the church I suppose you could do if you wanted to be perceived as a Christian. You can attend a worship service like this. You can go to Bible study. You can even give money to the church. These are things that Christians do, and it will give the appearance of being a Christian to, to others, right? Now, of course, you're free to do all of those things, but, but there are some things that are reserved for those who are truly Christian. And what we're going to talk about today is one of those things that's chief among them, baptism. Baptism, because of everything we're going to talk about this morning, is reserved for those whose identity is truly that of a born-again, spirit-filled 
follower of Jesus. So this morning, we are going to continue to look at the distinctives of Gresham Bible Church. And maybe you're joining us, you're visiting, uh, maybe you, you, you aren't a Christian. I would like for you to just think for the next 30 minutes or so about all that I'm going to say from the scriptures that baptism represents. And, and ask yourself, do you want these things to be true of you? And if so, what are you going to do in response? And then for the rest of us, this is going to be a little bit different kind of sermon. Actually, the next two are this week and next week. We're going to take a deep dive into baptism this week and the Lord's Supper next week. And I'm going to throw a whole bunch of Bible at you. We're going to develop like a biblical theology of baptism, a biblical theology of, of, of Lord's Supper. What I would like for you to do, think about this morning, and the, the, the scriptures are going to come fast and furious. And, and I, I don't know how many points I have today, like 18 or 19 or something like that. It's less than that. I just thought I'd freak you out and then give you some good news, uh, right? Um, I think it's less than that. <laughs> I hope it is. See if there's anything in what we discover from the scriptures about what baptism is that might change your thinking about baptism. And when we watch baptisms in two weeks, what will you be thinking about? What will you be celebrating? And perhaps some of you who are Christians are on the fence about getting baptized. I'd like to give you a gentle nudge towards taking the plunge in a couple weeks. Okay, so that's the agenda. Let's think first about Jesus and baptism. Why do we baptize people? And the answer is very simple. We do baptisms because Jesus commanded it. Remember last week our sermon was from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. These are Jesus' last words recorded in the gospel of Matthew. They take place shortly before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And we read this, Jesus came to them and said, them being the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the mission of the church. What characterizes the making of disciples? Well, we looked at it last week in terms of go, baptize, teach. So let's think about what it is to baptize. What is it to baptize? We notice that Jesus said, you baptize into the name of the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. This speaks of bringing people into a relationship with and coming under the lordship of the triune God, most notably in Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus commanded to the disciples to baptize others. He commanded them to observe all that he commanded. So just to connect the dots, why do we do Great Commission? Why do we baptize people? Because Jesus commanded the disciples to do it, and he said, and teach the disciples to do everything that I have told you. So he's taught us to baptize people as well. Does that make sense, how we got from the apostles to us? So it seems, seems fairly straightforward there. And, and how long are we supposed to do that? Till the end of the age, till Jesus returns. Okay, so long time that we're supposed to be doing this. But you might think, why baptize them? Have you ever wondered what it's like for someone who might be visiting, who doesn't know anything about the church, and we, we, we have a hot, uh, an inflatable hot tub on stage up here, and then we sing some songs, and a person um, walks into the water, and someone else kind of drops them in or dunks them or dips them or catches them as they plunge themselves into the water. And we pull them out and everybody claps. And then they walk off stage and then we sing songs and, it, and it's like this really happy time. Have you ever wondered what that would be like for a visitor? How weird are these Christians? This is the strangest thing that I've ever seen. Well, why do we do that? What, what a strange practice. Well, in the Bible, in the Bible, the word baptize, and it's, baptize is what we call a transliteration. It's, it's the Greek word that we just turn into an English word. So if you, you might not have known that you know some Greek, but if you know the word baptize, then you know some Greek right there. The, the word, the Greek word for baptize is baptize, or baptizo, actually, to, to baptize. And it was commonly used in the textile industry of the era where cloth would be immersed or baptized in dye, and that would, of course, change its color. To be, to be baptized, or at least for your piece of cloth, it's to change the color. You could say that it changed that cloth's identity. 
still cloth, of course, but now it's a different colored cloth. And so, so that's, that's a little bit of the, the language of, of baptism. Now, why would Jesus say, go baptize others? Was there any practices in the Old Testament? Well, there was ceremonial cleansing where you would walk into the, the, to the uh, like temple area that you could walk into. And before you got there, you were supposed to ceremonial cleanse yourself. And you did that by basically self-immersing yourself. Um, have any of you ever been to Jerusalem before? So over near the temple, there's all these like uh, pits, <laughs> I guess they were like pools, and they uncover more and more of them all the time. And basically, if you wanted to walk into the temple, imagine coming to church and say, you have to ritually and ceremonially cleanse yourself. And we have out there a pit where you basically walk into the water, uh, you remove your clothes, walk into the water, and then come out again, and you put your clothes back on, and you've just baptized yourself. You've just ceremonially cleansed yourself. Now, there was all sorts of modesty and decorum and, and that sort of thing, so it wasn't like a bunch of nudists walking into the temple. Of course, right? It's like Old Testament Jewish people and, and such. Um, and, and so, so the, the idea of baptism wasn't strange and weird to the people Jesus was talking to. Okay, that's, that's my point there. Now let's think about what are some New Testament texts? What did, what did the church do with this command to baptize others? Well, here's, here's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, he's talking about like your hands and your ears and your eyes. Those are the members of your body, but they constitute one body together. So it is with Christ, he says. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of the one spirit. When you are regenerated, when you come to Christ, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. It is a spiritual reality. Maybe the greatest promise of the new covenant is that God's people would be regenerated, marked, circumcised of the heart that is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, that promise given throughout the Old Testament was fulfilled. And you might think, well, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with water? I mean, what, why are we baptizing people in water if, if the promise is that we'd be baptized in the Spirit? Well, you might remember that throughout the Old Testament, any teaching of the whole, about the Spirit of God was often uh, termed or, or taught in terms of, of water. There's a close relationship between water and the Spirit. Here's an example, Ezekiel 36, the New Covenant promise. He says, Ezekiel writes, this is God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So there's a promise that God is going to cleanse us, and, and the language is used of with water. And then he says this, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh that is like dead towards God, cold, lifeless, and I will give you a heart of flesh that is warm, alive, pulsating, vibrant to God. How is he going to do that? How is he going to give you this new heart that is alive to God? I will, well, he says, I will give you a new spirit, right? So it starts with, I'm going to give you a new spirit. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a new heart. That's how I'm going to do it. Um, You know what? I'm just going to give you my spirit, he says. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. So what started with water, I'm going to cleanse you with water, becomes a promise of, I'm going to give you my spirit. And all through the Old Testament, we see that. You could go to Isaiah 44, verse 3, in the interest of time, we won't do that, but water and Holy Spirit are tied together. Jesus was paying attention to this. He would read in the Old Testament about this water spirit thing, and so he did the exact same thing. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? And he says, unless you are born of what? Water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Of course, Nicodemus didn't get it at all. It's like, how can you be born again? I'm like an old dude, right? I can't enter my mom's womb. And, and Jesus is like, oh, this is like Jewish hope 101 stuff. How can you be a teacher of Israel and not get this? 
If you really want to be the people of God, you have to be born again. That is, you have to have this new heart. That is, you have to have a new spirit. That is, you have to have God's spirit. That's the whole key. And Jesus said, I have come to do that for you. In John 7, at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stands up and he says on the great day, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And if you do that, Jesus then said, that the hearts of those who believed in him would flow with rivers of living water. If you're thirsty, come to Jesus. If you believe in me, I will cause your hearts to flow with living water. And that was really strange. But John tells us, hey, Jesus was talking about the spirit whom Jesus was going to give once he had been glorified. That is, once he had been crucified and then raised from the dead. So water and spirit, water and spirit, water and spirit over and over again. So it's no surprise then when, when Paul calls the coming of the Holy Spirit a baptism, an immersion into the, to the Holy Spirit that marks every person of God for eternity, that then the church would say, we're going to mark this spiritual reality by doing something publicly that has to do with water, because water and spirit go together. Does that make sense? Okay, good for the three of you who nodded at me. Yeah, good. All right, Acts, so what did the church do? In Acts chapter two at Pentecost, Peter preaches the first, if you will, the first Christian sermon, the first Christian sermon. And, and so he goes on and on about the resurrection, how Jesus got it from the dead. And, and, and the, the people who were listening, it's like, oh my goodness, what do we do? What must we do to be saved? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in water. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls for himself. So the very, so, so Jesus commands baptism. And then Peter, listening, we're grateful, <laughs> listening to Jesus, he preaches a sermon. And what does he do? Very first Christian New Covenant sermon, he commands baptism as well. And it's been part of the church in obedience to Jesus' commands from the very beginning. Whenever people became Christians, they were baptized as an outward sign of their new relationship with the triune God. They, when you come to Christ, you are baptized in the Spirit, and we mark that. Jesus says, mark that publicly through water baptism. It's sort of like a brand on a person to be I don't know if that's helpful or not. It's a a marker on the person that identifies who you are and whose you are, who you belong to. And, And of course, all of this takes place at the spiritual level through the Holy Spirit. If you're ever wondering what marks you as a Christian in the eyes of God and all those who have eyes to see, it is the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. That's the the seal, the the brand, the marker, the pledge, the guarantee. But we mark that publicly for our eyes to see through water baptism. So then we get to to Romans, again, the passage I read at the beginning. and, And Paul says, did you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, how did that happen? Baptized through the Spirit of God into Christ Jesus. We were, as it were, baptized into his death. So we were, as it were, buried with, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We might think, is he talking about water baptism or spirit baptism there? I can't, I can't hardly figure this out. Well, he's talking about spirit baptism mainly there. But what happened in reality spiritually is then commemorated physically through water baptism. And so we commemorate it. So I keep pointing over here because that's where the, 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 uh, the hot tub is, right? Uh, you go down into the waters. It's like being buried with Christ. But then you are pulled out of the waters. It's like rising with Christ, rising from the dead with Christ. That's, that's the allusion to it. What is the purpose? Why would we do this? As I've said many times, 
Baptism is an outward picture or symbol of an inward spiritual reality that the believer has already experienced by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So it is a public testimony to yourself first, to everyone else, of what has already taken place in you. Baptism, as we teach in the baptism class here, it makes the gospel visible. It's like a drama, buried with Christ, rising out of the water to walk in newness of life. And so baptism, as we say in the baptism class as well, baptism is the front door to the church. It's the ordinance that marks our coming into the universal church, the body of Christ, the invisible church. So, like, you, you realize that if you're a member of Gresham Bible Church, you're actually a member of two churches. You're a member of locally Gresham Bible Church, but you're also a member of Christ's universal church. All Christians, all times, everywhere, members of that church. And, but locally, we're members here. What does baptism signify? So here we go. Here are the 12 points. 12 points. You're thinking, you haven't even started your points yet? <laughs> These will go fast. Not quite as fast as like David Letterman's top 10, but pretty fast. I'm going to give you hope with the very first one. Number one. Oh, oh and, and if you're like furiously trying to take notes, that's awesome. Keep furiously trying to take notes, but we'll make the manuscript of this available. And then this, this sermon, just to give you behind the scenes and give you our mental furniture, this sermon is going to function as part of our training uh, for, for baptism. And, and, and when people want to be baptized, we're going to walk through all this stuff with them. But, so you're just here listening in um, on that. Okay, number one, baptism is your vital step of obedience to Christ, a vital step. It's a command of the Lord. I'm going to talk a little bit more on this later. It's, it's not just a step of obedience. It's certainly that, a step of obedience, but it's the first step of obedience, and it is vital. Now we move to number two. I told you we're going to go fast. Number two. Uh, we're going to come back to that one, though, in just a moment about the, about the obedience thing. Number two, baptism symbolizes a believer's entrance into the body of Christ. We've been talking about that. Baptism symbolizes a believer's entrance into the body of Christ. Paul wrote to the Galatians. Remember our Galatians series. He said this in Galatians 3. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Notice the language of baptism again. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In this sense, baptism is similar like to an adoption certificate into the family of God. It's the it's a defining mark of belonging. Now, that took place at the spiritual level, right? But we, we acted out physically here in water. A defining mark of, of belonging as well as demarcation from the world, right? You, are, you were buried with Christ. Now you rise again. That makes you different. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost again, Peter's sermon with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them. After, remember, he told them, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, he continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the body of Christ. So in the act of baptism, not only does the Lord of the church appropriate to himself the one who is baptized in his name, that's what literally takes place when you are baptized in the spirit, when you come to faith in Christ, and then we act it out here, it incorporate, you're incorporated into the body of Christ, but the person who is baptized publicly with what we do here now openly identifies with the Lord and his people. Remember, I've, I've done some baptisms before where I talked to the person, like, okay, this is it. There's no turning back. From this point on, everyone's going to know you're a Christian. Everyone's going to know. Number three, baptism symbolizes that new covenant work of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about. The abiding presence of the Holy Spirit as God's seal, testifying and guaranteeing that you will be kept in Christ forever. Paul again, 1 Corinthians 12. We read it earlier. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves free, 
All were made to drink of one spirit. And then Paul wrote to the Ephesians, says kind of the same thing. He says, in Christ, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Our baptism in the Spirit, it's like a seal, a guarantee, a down payment, if you will, a down payment. God says, I'm going to give you the Spirit now, but you haven't seen anything yet. It's just the down payment. The full meal deal is coming. So the the association between baptism and the new covenant blessings in Christ are so close that many have argued that in the New Testament, when people say, be baptized, that's like the shorthand way of saying Repent, believe, come to Christ. Number four, baptism is a public declaration of the gospel. A public declaration of the gospel. It is, if you will, the the word in water. It's a symbol, a, a graphic picture of the truth that it conveys. Every time you see a baptism, you're seeing a dramatic representation of the gospel. When people go down into the water, being buried with Christ, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? But then you are pulled out of the watery grave. That's what Jesus literally does for you in saving you. Pulled out of the water, the language of Romans 6 again, to walk in newness of life. So baptism symbolizes that you have been buried with Jesus. You have died. The, the, it's like in Christ, you, the penalty for sin has been paid and you have died with Christ. But then baptism symbolizes also that you have risen with Christ. Risen with Christ. And that's, that's dramatically represented when we pull the person out of the water. Coloss- we don't keep you in the water very long. You've all seen that, right? right. Coloss- <laughs> unless you go on YouTube or something and watch, watch baptism bloopers or something. But, but, but nothing we do here will ever make baptism bloopers, I, I don't think. Um, I, I don't have time, but sometime I'll tell you about my worst baptism experience ever, and um, it will make you laugh, and it was humbling. And they actually changed the baptismal at my former church because I screwed the whole thing up so badly. Um, so Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we've, we've uh, looked at this. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism again in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So you, you might think, how come we never do plays here at Gresham Bible? Why don't we do more drama? Well, we do it. If you want to see a drama at Gresham Bible, come on September 24th, and you'll see drama. Number five, baptism is a sign of faith, a public identification of our belief in Jesus. At Pentecost, those who heard Peter's gospel presentation responded in this way. They got baptized. Later on, it's interesting, Paul, when he's like trying to talk to the Jewish people who want to lynch him, and he's got a Roman guards behind him who are keeping him alive and safe, and, and he's like trying to defend himself, but he doesn't take the opportunity just to defend himself. As usual, he takes the opportunity to preach the gospel to them, and he ends up saying to them, now why do you, so, so it's interesting, they wanted to kill him. It's, it's like they're ready to lynch him at this moment, and, and Paul talks to them for a while, and then he ends up saying, why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, call on his name. When we're baptized, it's a symbol of what we have already done. We are calling on the name of Jesus. We have faith in him, and that's what it testifies to the world. You believe in Jesus. Number six, baptism symbolizes that we are clean. It's not accidental that water is used in baptism because of the the sprinkling of water to cleanse people. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes to Titus and says, He, Christ, saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, if if, if you're in touch with your own sin, you feel dirty towards God, but you need to know that in Christ you have been cleansed powerfully, 
robustly forever. And baptism symbolizes that. When a person's being baptized, is pulled out of the water. So when we see this on September 24th, you're going to see people pulled out of the water, and you're going to see the water streaming off them. You should think that symbolizes the cleansing from sin that Jesus does. Number whatever we're on. Baptism is a sign of our salvation in Christ, a pledge of a clear conscience before God. Peter He's on the same page as Paul here. He writes this, chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body. So he is talking about water baptism here. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This baptism signifies that our sins have been forgiven. We can have a clear conscience before God. And we'll come back to this because some people use this verse to say, well, isn't Peter saying that you have to be baptized in order to be forgiven? And no, baptism symbolizes the things that actually does save you, that appeal to God, save me, an appeal to God for a clear conscience. I'm on letter H. I should have numbered them. I can't remember what number we're on. Is this eight or something? A baptism is a symbol of your identity in Christ. As I said earlier, a brand that you belong or you are the property of another. I said earlier, we baptize into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our, our real seal, as I said earlier, our real brand, our real mark is the Holy Spirit. But our water baptism becomes an outward symbol of that spiritual reality. It's the symbol of our identification. It symbolizes ownership. There's a change of identity that takes place when you come to Christ, and baptism symbolizes that. The most important part of who you are is really whose you are, who you belong to. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, your identity is that of being in Christ. I asked a bunch of you earlier to memorize Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Baptism reminds us all that we belong to someone else. And so, very practically, we we ought not to think, this is pretty basic, we ought not to think, man, I wonder what I'm going to do today. Maybe, baptism reminds us we've been bought with a price, we're not our own, maybe we should think, what does the Lord want me to do today? Baptism is really a very weighty act because of what it represents in me. Okay, this is number nine. Something like that. This is the tougher one, but it's great. The tenth one's easy. Ninth one's hard, but it's great. Baptism is proleptic. Is that on the screen? Yes, proleptic. You might think, what is this is my favorite theological word. Um, it might sound like an antacid or something, but it's, it's not. It's, it, it, the, the, what it represents or what it means is a little bit of the future has been brought into the present. And that's what baptism is. Some of the wonderful future that awaits us is being brought into our present day right now. Christian baptism is a tremendous promise and anticipation of the fact that all things will one day be consummated through Jesus Christ our Lord. You recall from the New Testament in the Gospels that John was wandering around baptizing people. And then Jesus commanded that people be baptized too. And was there a difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism? And the answer is yes. John's baptism was a public declaration that you were ready for Messiah to come. Jesus' baptism, he commands, is Jesus has already come and I'm with him. I'm, I'm with him. Both of those, John and Jesus, both of those were pointing ahead, but what John anticipated and longed for, it had arrived in Christ, and so the age of fulfillment had dawned. 
And so Christian baptism is really nothing less than the fact that you as a Christian, you have already entered into the full realities of the new covenant because of our union with Christ. It's like this is the full reality is being in Christ. That's like this right here. No, (laughs) no, it gets better than this. Trust me. I mean, as awesome as this sermon is, it does get better than this one day. One day Christ will return. But, but, but what we're doing here is like an, an anticipation of it. It's important to stress so that Christian baptism does not just look back to what Christ had done, his death and resurrection, but it also looks forward to his return. Just like in the Lord's Supper, we do it because we're convinced that Jesus is going to come back. In bap- I mean, wouldn't it be pathetic if we like identified with Jesus in his death and then that was it? No one would ever be pulled out of the water. <laughs> no, we're, we're anticipating the resurrection every single time we see a baptism. We await the return of our Lord, and as such, Romans 8 becomes true for us. Here's what Paul said about Romans 8. In Romans 8, he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, now remember, we're talking about Paul wrote this. Think about all that Paul went through. These sufferings that he has been going through in this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Down to verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I said earlier, the Spirit of God is a down payment. We're anticipating the full meal deal to come later. So that's the, the baptism is proleptic. It points to the future as well. And then the last one, baptism is like a pile of rocks. Why would I say that? Because in the Old Testament, whenever God wanted his people to remember something he had done, what did he ask him to do? Make a rock pile. <laughs> remember when the Israelites were crossing the Jordan River into the promised land, finally. And he says, hey, as you're going through, each tribe grab a rock, and we're going to pile them up right here on, on the shore. Why would you do that? Because one day when you're older or your grandchildren are older, they're going to be with their grandkids, and they're going to look at that pile of rocks, and the grandchild, like five generations down from you, is going to say, Hey, what's this pile of rocks? Oh, that's a very special pile of rocks. That represents the day that God gave us the promised land. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, a stone, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So, put a stone there, and gave it a name so when people looked at it, they would remember. Baptism is like a pile of rocks. It's something that you'll always be able to look back on and say, I remember the day I stood in front of God's people and made a good confession that I believe in Jesus. And you'll remember that, Lord willing, for the rest of your life. That's what baptism is. Quickly, what is baptism not? Baptism does not magically communicate grace, nor does it regenerate a person. There are some Christian denominations that believe that baptism is a means of saving grace, and there are some denominations that that believe that the act of baptism actually regenerates you. But, But we here at Gresham Bible, I think because we understand the Bible correctly on this, we believe that water baptism is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Faith must be present. So we only baptize those who can give a credible confession of faith. Our water baptism doesn't save us. It's something that takes place after you have been saved. What about that one verse that says baptism saves you? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. 
Doesn't that teach that baptism saves? No, I don't think so, because when you look at the balance of Scripture, we see that baptism represents everything that I've been saying it represents. But in the Peter passage, it represents the thing that does save you, an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Now, here are a couple other arguments why I don't think that baptism saves you. Very quickly. Number one, Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. This is the, the story of Paul in Philippi, and he is in prison, and the walls of the prison go down. And the jailer knows, man, I am in some deep kimchi right now because I just lost all the prisoners. What am I going to do? And, and then he goes and he finds out that his life has been saved because none of the prisoners ran away. They're all there. Paul says, hey, don't worry about it. We're all still here. We're all still here. And so he realizes that his, the foundations of his life are as crumbled as the jail walls are. And he says, oh, man, I'm, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like he's come face to face with Jesus at this point. What, I am a sinner. What must I do to be saved, he says. And that would have been a perfect opportunity for Paul to say, well, you've got to get baptized, right? But no. What does he say? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. If baptism was, necess- was necessary for salvation... It would be mentioned every single time, every single time someone says, what must I do to be saved? There's one argument. Here's another argument. Paul kind of downplays baptism a little bit. Now remember, so we're thinking about, is baptism necessary to be saved? In Corinth, people were dividing into factions. And so Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians to to show them, uh, you, know, you ought not to divide into factions. And some of them were dividing into factions that were like, hey, I'm with Paul, I'm with Peter, I'm with Apollos, I'm with wh- whoever the latest, greatest preacher was who came through. Oh, yeah? Well, it, it, hey, I was baptized by Paul. Ooh, shoot. Man, I can't trump that. Well, I was baptized by Peter. Dang, you might have. Is Peter greater than Paul? I don't know. And so this is the kind of arguments that are going on there. And Paul says, why are you arguing about who baptized who? He says this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you, uh, except Crispus and Gaius, <laughs> two, two people, so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. Oh, okay, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know that I baptized anyone else. He's lost track. He's forgotten. If, 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 if Paul is apostle to the Gentiles and he's there to, to preach a gospel that saves Gentiles, wouldn't baptism be super important in his job description if baptism was necessary for salvation? He's saying, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody. We can only conclude that we would say, Paul says, I'm glad I didn't baptize hardly anybody because that's not the point. That is not the point at all. Christ did not send me to baptize which does not save you. It doesn't say that. But he did say, Paul did not, or God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, but the cross of Christ, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Okay, so therefore I conclude, baptism doesn't actually save you, but it is a visible sign that you have been saved. Okay, very quickly. So what does that mean for us here at Gresham Bible? a series of questions. Who is to be baptized? Who should be baptized? Only those who believe the gospel and have confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The heart of believer's baptism is that baptism is for believers, for Christians. A true disciple is always a believing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and his baptism in the triune name assumes that there has been some instruction and understanding of who God is and what Christ has done for that person. Is it just for some of those disciples, like the really serious ones? Is baptism only for the serious disciples of Jesus? No, all Christians. Remember last week I said all Christians are disciples. All Christians are disciples, and all people who are confessed believers are to be baptized. And, And you might say, but Todd, you just went through this whole thing saying it's not necessary for salvation. So why should I get baptized? Two reasons. One, Jesus commanded it as one of the very first steps of discipleship. So we ought to think carefully about saying, I don't really think I need to obey that command of Jesus. I'm not that kind of Christian. Second, just because something is necessary for salvation doesn't mean it's not important. 
I mean, if you think about it, we could justify breaking all of Jesus's commands, his ethical commands, by that same rationale. Church attendance, is it necessary for salvation? No, then I'm not going to do it. Bible reading, prayer, is it necessary for salvation? No, not really. Well, I'm not going to do it then. Faithfulness to your spouse, not committing adultery, is that necessary for salvation? I don't think so. Ah, great. Carte blanche, I can do whatever I want. That's absurd, right? What commands of Je- what other commands of Jesus would you justify by saying, I think I'll just wait before I start before I obey that command? Then one more quick argument in this. As you're reading the Bible, the New Testament doesn't know of an unbaptized Christian. You'll be reading the Bible in vain before you find that Christian who's waiting to be baptized. Because Fill in the blank reason. When are you to be baptized? When you convert. There's no biblical justification for a waiting period. In, in the church in America, we've turned baptism into a step of discipleship that almost is dis- optional. So I, I guess I would ask, so here's my gentle nudge, if any of you are Christians and haven't been baptized yet, why the foot dragging? I mean, I, I understand some of you might be concerned about the water, concerned about the whole process. I understand some of you are terrified about being in front of people. It would be totally phony if I said I get that because I'm up here talking to you all the time. But I'll, I'll just say this instead. This is a chance for you to give testimony about Christ, the one who endured much on your behalf. Jesus literally made a humiliating spectacle of himself so that you might be saved. And you won't be asked to make a humiliating sacrifice or spectacle of yourself. Because you're surrounded by people who are going to love that day and are going to be encouraged by that and applaud and be very, very happy and proud of you for doing this. Everyone here is in your corner and will be thrilled to see you get baptized. So who's to get baptized and when? Everything I said, but it is only believers who are to be baptized. And so the church does have the right and responsibility to to seek evidence of conversion, like a, a good testimony, especially in our context where there's not much price to pay for confessing Christ. And so parents of children who are who are believers, we're gonna lean on you a lot for this because you you are the first and most potent disciples of your children. I think you know their hearts best. We want to come alongside you and, and help in that. And we, we, need your, we need your wisdom when it comes to the baptism of, of your children. Do we do spontaneous baptisms here at, at Gresham Bible? Well, no, because it takes a long time to drag that hot tub out and fill it up, for one. Uh, but we're actually theologically opposed to that as well. <laughs> we're not asking you to wait for a long time when you come to Christ, just enough time for us to, to hear your testimony and, and to, and to kind of coach you up a little bit. We want to make sure that your conversion is a real conversion. It's of the Spirit of God, and that you understand the significance of what you're doing. You see, we in the church, in the church, we've been given this task of baptizing. We, we don't have the right to withhold baptism from a genuine believer. But we also don't have the right to baptize non-believers. And so we're kind of caught in the middle. We have, we have to do some vetting. And besides that, if you're going to be baptized, we want you to understand exactly what you're doing. So, so it'll be that much more profound. How are you to be baptized? Well, by immersion. The Greek word, again, baptizo means to plunge, to dip, to immerse. Here's a little tricky translation thing that people do. Because the church, by the time modern English translations were being done, um, it, because the church had been sprinkling people at that point, they decided not to translate the word, they just transliterated it. If they'd been consistent in their translation, they, they, it would, Matthew 28 would read this way. It, it would read, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. But they don't want to do that. Bible, Bible translators don't want to do that because that would offend a whole bunch of people who sprinkle. And they need those people to buy Bibles. So, and, and you might think, was it, Todd, are you saying it's a marketing decision? Yeah, I am. I am. And, and, and also a pragmatic decision as well. But what I'm saying is true. If, if they were consistent in their translation theory, they would say immerse. So that's what we do. That's what we do. And that's why we do it. 
Okay, uh, who is to do the baptizing? Well, there's no biblical criteria here. I just, so we want to be wise. It should be a believer. <laughs> it should be someone who represents the church in some way. And, and so you'll see here the practice a lot of time is for parents to do that. And, and I baptized my own son here, and, and that was fun and, and awesome. One caution, though, is that we don't want to turn baptism into something sentimental, purely sentimental, at the family level. The ordinance is given to the church to baptize, not to families to baptize. It's, baptism should be a step in obeying Jesus, not a step in obeying your mom and dad. Okay? Where's, where are you to be baptized? In the presence of witnesses, in the presence of the church. Because you're baptized into the you're baptized by the Spirit in the universal body of Christ, you are baptized by water into the local church. It's the front door, as we have been saying. So, Jordan, if you, <laughs> when when Jordan is on youth retreats and all that, and you and, and you ask him, say, "Man, I'm ready to be baptized. I want to be baptized." Jordan will say, "That is awesome. We're going to do it in front of the church because he's thinking rightly about this, and I'm super grateful for that." How often are you to be baptized? Every time you sin. No. Um, <laughs> just once. Just once. You're baptized in the Spirit, marking your entrance in the universal church only once. You should be baptized in the water only once as well. So we're going to do our due diligence in vetting so that we don't baptize a bunch of people who will look back on it and say, man, I got baptized, but I, I don't think it was really baptism. I think I just got wet in church. But now I'm a real Christian. You know? so we don't want you to have that as your testimony. We want, we want to baptize real believers. But it's not like a profound the- theology test or anything like that. We're not scary or anything, I, I don't think. Mike's such a nice guy, right? Good. Um, conclusion. So we got to stop. First day, kids are in children's ministry, and here we go. I'll say this to close. Baptism is a wonderful and it's a power gift that's given to the church, commanded by Jesus, to bolster, to edify, encourage individuals, but the body of Christ as a whole. Baptism in water does not change your identity. Baptism in the Spirit does. But it will tell the world, most importantly, you and your brothers and sisters here, that your identity has been miraculously and beautifully changed. In conversion, you've been bought by the God of mercy and kindness and grace. And in baptism, we tell the world about it. You tell yourself about it, and you tell each other about it as well. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for this ordinance that you've given to us, and and we pray, Father, that that we would be faithful in it. We pray that you would give us uh, courage to... Uh, for, for, for those who are on the fence about being baptized, we pray, Father, that, that they would do so. That, um, that, that even in a couple weeks on September 24th, that, that you would use that time to, to do this, this wonderful uh, public work in, in their life. Uh, we pray, Father, for those who are, are, are not yet followers of yours, that, that, that they would see these wonderful blessings that baptism represents and that you would use that to spark interest and curiosity and uh, not not in just in getting wet in church, but 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 in those real spiritual realities that come uh, from being reconciled to you, born again, and adopted into your family. We're grateful that you've given us such a thing to help us remember and keep us faithful. And we pray in Jesus' name, Amen.